And welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you, coming to you from my basement out here in the eastern plains of Colorado. Adam McManus with me on this edition. He is the host of theworldview.com, our daily five-minute update. And, uh, Adam, big stuff happening in Brazil and bigger stuff will happen in the United States since America is still somewhat the leader of the free world, whatever that used to be. Uh, (laughs) I'm reminded of our 2020 election in terms of Biden inching out Trump. If, if you believe that he actually won it outright and fairly. <laughs> well, the, these are critical elections, highly critical elections for the future of freedom in anywhere in the world today. Brazil, of course, lost it over the weekend. And what some have called the last major battle for freedom in the Western Hemisphere lost to socialism. Socialist candidate uh, won the Bra- Brazilian presidential. Again, if you believe the uh, the vote uh, he won by what 1.8 percent was it luis lula i believe that was it uh convict he got himself out of uh out of prison and um higher bolsonaro has reportedly thrown in the towel after his presidential election defeat in brazil he told members of the supreme court it's over he met with the seven judges and as i understand it they're pretty much running the country. It turns out the Supreme Court, you know, he, they let the the bad guy out of prison who now is the president. And um, also Bolsonaro's vice president, Hamilton Murauro, said, uh, well, they have accepted the defeat. There's no point in crying anymore. We lost the game, he said. So it's over for uh, for the conservative surge. Uh, in Brazil, and uh, that's going to be tough for the entire Western Hemisphere. I would say I'm encouraged that it was close at 1.8%. The fact that people would willingly elect a man who was imprisoned and who advocates socialism is disturbing on both fronts. But the fact that it was that close, again, that gives me some hope that perhaps Bolsonaro or someone like him could run down the line and recapture the presidency. There's a loyal opposition, no question. There's a loyal opposition. There is one here in the United States as well. And we'll see how tough it is as we approach our 2022 midterms. Uh, The pink tide. Uh, The pink tide is what's known as the rise of communism and socialism in South America and Central America. Now, if you look at the map, if you go online, just look at the map for the pink tide. Uh, You're going to find it involves about 99% of the land mass of South America and Central America, ruled by communists and socialists, along with 100% of North America. So the pink tide, the the rise of the Trudeaus, the Bidens, and the Lulas and such have uh, incorporated about 99.5% of uh, uh, this part of the world, this half of the world, so to speak. That includes Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Cuba, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, Peru, Venezuela. And, and and so forth. So, well, that's where we are right now. And don't forget, this is something I forgot to cover in the newscast I wrote up for you for Tuesday, Adam. It turns out it's not just Canada, America, South America, and Central America. It's also Australia capitulated to the Labor Party, the leftist party in June of this year. So it's all sort of come to a head in just the last two years. Anthony Albanese was sworn in as prime minister in uh, June of this year. I wonder, though, why it is called the pink tide instead of the red tide. Traditionally, communism's color has been red. You can look at the Chinese flag, for example, to see that and other communist countries. I wonder, is it called the pink tide because it's communist light and it's a mix of 
communism and socialism? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of the countries are dyed red, some dyed pink. So, yeah, some are socialist. You know, the Biden socialists, it's hard to call Biden a communist. Well, maybe we can, you know, (laughs) but uh, significant victories for socialism and communism. In just the last two years, or three to four years, Joe Biden, of course, in 2020, Trudeau in 2015, again in 2021, they brought him back in 2021, if you remember that. Also, Gabriel Boric is the new president of Chile, took power in March 11th of this year, uh, wanted to dismantle the free economy, put in place what he calls a welfare state. Also, Pedro Castillo took control of Peru in July of just last year. That was a narrow win for him. Some believe there's some shenanigans happening with the... uh, the ballot boxes in that election as well. A former communist revolutionary, Gustavo Petro, narrowly won the Colombian presidential election in July of this year. And then again, in 2018, Lopez Obrador won the presidential election in Mexico for a major you know, uh, step ahead, leap ahead for socialism and a commitment to the Marxist agenda in, uh, in Mexico. So there you go. You know, it's, it's just about every other nation. There's a few left. There's, uh, I think, Paraguay and Uruguay, but there's just a few teeny weeny nations left in the world that have not succumbed to the pink wave. Well, I appreciate your due diligence in researching this because honestly, it wasn't on my radar screen. I mean, certainly the Brazilian election was and uh, what's happened here in America and Canada. But these others that you've cited and the fact that the socialists gained control even as recently as this year and last year, I haven't seen it covered in national media. And I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because much of the national media is reflective of a socialist mindset. So they either want not to report it at all, hoping that people won't even know what's happening or not to call attention to the fact that the socialist, the one representing the pink tide, won. Well, and you know, it's a little bit of a news hound left in me, Adam. <laughs> you, know, you know, I got almost a minor in journalism. <laughs> There's just a little bit of a news hound left in the old man, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, enjoying uh, teaming up with you on theworldview.com uh, on a weekly basis. But you know, yeah, yeah, we want to follow the trends. I, I think it's important for us to understand the times. It, it, we, we have to. We, as Christians, we're called to it. To understand the times so we will know what to do. And so, you know, we want to follow the trends. So I kind of sniff these things out and uh, and convey them through our various news sources. And I hope that this is helpful to God's people. We're going to draw some applications on, okay, what do we do now? What do we do now? That's the question that we're going to answer next on Generation. Stay with us. What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live 
you can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org slash store today. That's generations.org slash store. And we're back on the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you, also Adam McManus. And friends, we're looking at a massive pink wave that's rushing across the entire globe right now, with maybe the exception of America. America is the last bastion, I believe, at this point. Now, of course, you know there might be a, a reviving of uh, some other nation somewhere around the world in the next, say, 100 years, should Christ tarry. But uh, but the doctrinaire that apparently is most popular in the pink wave that's rushing across the entire world is socialism. Anti-free market policies, big government control over everything. Abortion, of course, is a big part of this agenda in Chile and Brazil and Argentina and everywhere, New Zealand. Homosexuality, homosexualization of the schools. And the freedom for homeschooling is in the balance in Brazil and elsewhere now. Very tough times for our friends in Brazil right now. My heart goes out to them. And there's just not that much political freedom left in the world. It was just a brief respite for those who like the little freedom. Uh, came with Trump and Boris Johnson, Scott Morrison in Australia. So there was a brief respite, I'm going to say, from roughly 2008. Isn't that, excuse me, it wasn't 2000, 2010, let's say. And uh, Morrison comes in, I think, somewhere around 2010. Then you get Donald Trump, who steps in, I'm going to say, 2016. And the rest is history. So there, there, is, there was something of a respite. Now, now I'm going to argue that even though there was a short reprieve from the communist agenda over the last four to eight years, the conservative comeback from men like Trump, Bolsonaro, and Boris Johnson— as well as Scott Morrison, was only temporary. Liz Truss, that was temporary. That was, what, 44 days? <laughs> that was really that, that temporary. That was temporary. <laughs> <laughs> that was really temporary, right? A weak attempt of loyal opposition to the evil agenda. Now, I think they fail for several reasons. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to fail forever and ever. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we tend to fail. Conservatives tend to, that's one reason why I don't like the term conservative, I, I think we need to be more radical. Repentance must be radical, a 180-degree change in direction, a decrease of the overall budget, a decrease of the debt, a decrease in the number of abortions in the country. Um, and so these leaders represent conservatives, and conservatives tend not to repent. That's not what conservatives do. They're not into repentance. They're into having a little less than whatever that liberal's having over there. Their agendas are too superficial and merely symbolic, and these leaders are always more debt spending, driving their nations closer to bankruptcy, and they tend not to stop abortion. That, that is not the agenda of Liz Truss. She said, that's not my agenda. They tend to support homosexuality. That is the agenda of Liz Truss. So by and large, they're not out to reverse a Obergefell. That's not what conservatives do. Well, I would add that in terms of one report we had on November 2nd at theworldview.com, 10,000 babies have been spared from abortion since Roe v. Wade was overturned, since the Dobbs case. Overall, the number of abortions nationwide declined 6% between April and August. Some states have experienced a near 100% decline in abortions, including Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, 
Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Texas. Here in Texas, since the Heartbeat Act went into effect a year ago, plus in September of 2021, we've saved 20,000 babies from abortion. So uh, we have made great strides. And thankfully, Donald Trump appointed three justices during his time in office that enabled Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And he also put in place a significant number of conservative young judges all across America in a variety of levels of the judiciary that will ensure a greater support for justice and truth and biblical standards. Well, we'll see. I think a lot of this is a wash because of the massive increase in the use of uh, abortifacient birth control, the day after pill, the kill pill by mail program. In fact, the Washington Examiner had a story that came out this week saying abortion has become almost a non-issue given that the uh, Obamacare program has enabled free access to abortifacients, and and I think they were speaking in favor of of that. Uh, that's a conservative news magazine, but it's interesting that you know you've got millions upon millions of children being killed, and the increase is about you know tenfold from the number of kids that were killed by the IUD and other forms of high efficiency birth control in the 1990s. So it seems to me that you know as conservatives, we need to step forward and say, hey, uh, life begins at conception, and we need to clamp down on all of these forms of abortion and be consistent about the principle itself. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess time will tell, you know, and the, the other thing is the election will really determine whether America has the will to oppose abortion. Uh, it seems that evangelicals and conservatives aren't all that interested in the pro-life issue. They're much more interested in inflation, gas prices and such. But we'll see. Who knows? You know, in the next two to four years, we're going to figure out whether or not Congress will turn more pro-life or less pro-life. Same thing applies to every legislature in America. You agree with that? I don't think that's a fair analysis. For example, when you wrote that particular piece that evangelical Christians don't seem to be terribly interested in abortion in terms of uh, compared to the economics, a lot of the listeners are in southern states. Uh, I heard from one of them by email, Ann Newman, a Christian activist in the educational world here in the Lone Star State. And she said if she was asked on a survey to rank, you know, the top five things that I think people were asked on a given survey to rank, she would not put abortion at the top, not because she doesn't have a heart for it and hasn't spent decades to stop it and give gives money to crisis pregnancy centers and has been on the front lines for years, even legally speaking. But because of the Heartbeat Act, because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it has dropped in something that we can proactively do something about here in Texas anyway, and the issues of the indoctrination of children in the public schools and the economic questions about inflation and gas prices are you know on the top. I, I don't think that's necessarily an indication that evangelical Christians don't care about the slaughter of babies. It's an issue of what's happening in their state and is it a priority right now in their state? And if the state's already pretty much passed it saying it's it's 
always a priority. It's always a priority. The shedding of innocent blood is the reason why God's going to bring judgment on this nation. And I think we need to stand up for the other 6,990,000 babies who haven't been saved. If, if, if indeed 10,000.01% of them have been saved, we still need to stand up for the other 6,999,000 that haven't been saved. So abortion needs to stay the number one issue. That's the number one issue on my agenda when I ran for governor of Colorado in 1994 and uh, only got 4% of the vote because you know everybody was going for the economic issue and they voted for the pro-abortion candidate over the pro-life candidate in 1994 here in Colorado. And I think that that pattern is going to continue. Um, so I'm very, I'm very committed to the, uh, God's agenda and God's agenda is to save innocent life. That's the number one reason for civil government to exist is to stand up for innocent life and to oppose. Yes. Obergefell is one more reason why uh, well, I, these surveys are so bad. That, they don't even inc- right. include they don't even uh, traditional marriage it. as you know right. a consideration on the list. So I, I just think we need to keep these things on the list and uh, hope that the heart of America is turning on these fundamental family issues. Um, well, even for the states where they have pretty much prohibited abortion, like Texas— I think what you add to the conversation on a national level, Kevin, is very instructive, very encouraging, very inspirational, because you continue to go back to the issue that, look, just because we may not be killing babies surgically does not mean that we're not killing babies chemically. So whether it's the abortion pill, the morning after pill, the abortifacients, we need to have this conversation, which I have never heard from the pulpit, ever. I've heard great pro-life sermons from where I go to church, from John Hagee at Cornerstone Church, which is just a stone's throw away from where I'm sitting right now, and other churches here in San Antonio. I have never heard anyone from a pulpit reference why the abortifacients are a moral issue and the morning after pill and the chemical abortion pill need to be fought tooth and nail. Because well, babies killed that way are just as important as babies killed and, surgically. And, and, and granted, you know, the polls going into the elections aren't nearly as important as the elections themselves. And so I'm looking at this election and the 2024 elections as determining the direction America will take when it comes to the fundamental issue of life. Um, I think the U.S. Supreme Court did the right thing in turning it back over to the states. Uh, but it will ultimately be the voters that will determine the direction of the nation will take when it comes to these absolutely critical issues of life and the condition of marriage. Uh, if we don't reverse Obergefell in this nation, we are going to be in trouble uh, with God Almighty, and that's really the bottom line. Well, we're already going down. We're already going down the road toward not just two homosexual men or two lesbians getting married, but now we're looking toward a group of people and calling that a marriage. And I would not be surprised if at some point we're going to see the state in some of these very dark blue states like California and New York, and then it spread sadly throughout America, approve of state sanction on pedophilia. The North American Man-Boy Love Association had a disturbing slogan for years, sex by eight before it's too late. You look at this alphabet soup of LGBTQIA+, and they're going to be in there, P for pedophilia. 
or CM for child molesters. The leftists will say they should have the right too. If if these other people have rights, what about their and rights? And the point is, if we don't reverse Obergefell, if we don't reverse LGBTQ, we're we're going to just slippery slide down into P and everything else. Uh, conservatives, I think, are faced with this question: Will they put full court press on reversing Obergefell? And will these Supreme Court appointees on the part of Republican administrations do the right thing when it comes to reversing Obergefell? If they won't, then we're going to continue to see the persecution of Christians who do not participate in this or render credence to it, as well as, as you said, the slippery slope into other forms of sexual perversion. So, all right, so that's where we're headed. And that's why I think my admonition and uh, my encouragement to conservatives is, guys, we're going to have to repent. <laughs> so, yeah, repentance is 180 degree change in direction and that's got to happen somewhere in this nation or i don't have much hope for the nation so repentance absolutely secondly i don't think nationalism anti-immigration is enough nationalism can get people fired up because it appeals to ethnic pride and this is one reason why i just don't think a boris johnson or a liz truss is going to reverse the trends in some of these countries uh, I, I get it. You still need to handle your borders well. There's a responsibility to defend your borders, control your borders. De- decentralization is important. That maintains some stability. So I get that. But you still got to address the violations of God's commandments. You, you need honest money. You need to address abortion. You need to stop the redistribution of the wealth. You need to reverse Obergefell. So so it seems to me that uh, we we have to keep the the pedal to the metal on all these other issues as well. And the idea that you can be a nationalistic candidate and somehow that's going to serve the quote unquote conservative movement very well. I don't think it's going to work that way. Bottom line is people's hearts are going to have to change. The churches haven't changed. The spiritual temperament of the nation needs to change. Uh, It's in decline right now, as, as we all know. Um, And I think in some respects, God has given us opportunities to repent. That's what Trump provided us, a reprieve, an opportunity for repentance in the churches among the people. I remember I had a conversation with a senator uh, at some meeting, and this U.S. senator told me that the real issue is the pastors. When tens of thousands of pastors begin to preach God's law and call people to repentance, that's the point at which the nation will turn around in Washington, D.C. So, so that's where I think we are today is we are really at a point where you know we could see some turnaround the hearts of the people if we do that will eventually uh, evidence itself in the in the polls and the uh, the voting booth. I'd like to give a very practical help for those who are still looking to vote during early voting or on election day Tuesday November 8th and that is visit the website ivoterguide.com that's i voterguide.com now there are 64 partnering organizations perhaps you would be familiar with the american family association action or family research council action among the top two they have literally researched 51,332 candidates they've covered 25,868 races they've looked at the endorsement sources of 6,440 and it is one of the most reliable, helpful guideposts for voting that you can find. And what you'll discover there, is when you type in your physical address that determines your voting precinct at the homepage of iVoterGuide.com, they'll 
pull together a personalized ballot for you, and they will show on a, a kind of all the way to the left, to the right, how liberal or conservative a given candidate is, but more importantly, answers to questions about their background, their qualifications, who they've donated to, who's donated to them, where they stand on life, on religious liberty, on economics, on immigration, on taxes, on the homosexual issue. And so you're going to find some very helpful information there at iVoterGuide.com so you can cast a biblically informed ballot. Really critical times for this country and other countries around the world today, my friends, especially as we approach these elections. But you know, it's not just the elections. It's, it's, it's everything else that's going on in the culture and the churches that really does make a difference. Now, make no mistake about it. As I see it, these are dangerous times for Christians, for homeschoolers, for anybody who stands for Christian morality, anybody who stands for pro-life. I think we're entering a time where we are finding an increasing level of epistemological self-consciousness. And when I say that, I'm just saying there are those on the right and those on the left that have an increasing sense of confidence and self-consistency about their position. Similar to what uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I want to at least leave our listeners with this today, Adam. Uh, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And all of these things, of course, unravel civilization. Very, very bad circumstances. Uh, But then he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Down to verse 13 of 2 Timothy 3, evil men, imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. So what I'm saying is we're entering a period of time in which there is a consistency. The the wicked become more wicked. The imposters grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And it's for us to stay on target, stay in the Word. That's what Paul says. So for the first time since the Reformation, there is no real bastion of freedom for God's people left in the world, with the possibility of America being right there in the balance. Post-Christians are dancing on the grave of Christianity. They brought about more persecution in the world against Christians over the last 10 years than we've seen in the last 400 years. There is persecution against Christians now in 60 countries around the world. 360 million Christians face persecution today. That's largely because of the diminishment of Christian influence in the Western world. That compares to about 50 million Protestants facing persecution in the 1500s and 1600s. So it's hard to know how many were actually killed in the 1500s. There was a 12% growth deficit in the 1500s, which probably put the number somewhere around 10 million. So you had a pretty significant persecution going on in the 1500s, not the first time in which Christians have been in the severe minority, and they have been subjected to massive persecutions. But this is worldwide. That's what makes this one quite a bit different. I want to end with three encouragements. And Adam, you can interact with these if you want. First, persecution is sometimes the only way to wake up Christians up. There is such a complacency, sometimes fear, sometimes retreatism, a lack of boldness to evangelize. Persecution can steal our faith, that is, strengthen our faith, increase our love for God, and solidify our joy. So it causes us to focus our minds on eternity. We become much bolder and full of faith here and willing to act here if we have our minds set on eternity and our faith has been solidified in the fires of trial. So in other words, when we're set back by the forces of darkness doesn't mean that we need to capitulate to it. Uh, Two things you can do when you're pressed 
down to your own five-yard line. You can curl up in the fetal position and just quit, or you can redouble your efforts, strengthen your resolve. And then finally, the Christian church hasn't made much progress in discipling the nations. The seculars have got control of the universities and the schools, and that's why they dominate today in the political sphere. So let's just remember that. We need to come back to discipleship, discipling. We don't just turn our kids over to the public schools and universities. Uh, We've given up so much to secular forms of education, and that's where the future leaders of these countries have been trained And that's why they now lead these respective nations. But it's for us to, I think, redouble our efforts in the discipleship of the nations. I would make two comments, one on the first and one on the third. Number one, about persecution. I've traveled to a number of countries through my former work as a Christian talk show host here in San Antonio on KSLR. The Bible League paid our expenses, uh, about 12 of us, 15 of us talk show hosts from around the country, most of whom were with Salem Communications, to go to China, Myanmar, Kenya, talking to pastors in Sudan, Ecuador, where Jim Elliott had been killed. We found almost universally that the people that we met, that we interviewed, and whose stories we carried back to our respective talk shows, urging people to send money to the Bible League to help pay for more Bibles at $4 a Bible to the country that we had just visited— uh, and we would each raise upwards of forty to sixty thousand dollars in a matter of days. They said the people from these various lands that they prayed that American Christians would be persecuted. <laughs> they, they didn't just ask us mm-hmm. to pray for them mm-hmm. in the yep. midst of their persecution. They prayed that we would be persecuted because they found that while it was difficult, while it was stressful, while it was heartbreaking at times because a loved one might have been imprisoned or might have been beat up or might have been killed, the church just grew exponentially. The fire from within, the desire for the Word of God, even in places where the Bible had been outlawed, just grew so significantly. And I thought that was very telling indeed. I put something on my Facebook page, which is Adam J. McManus, if anyone wants to friend me, on October 26th, and it says, first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, and then we persecute those who still call it evil. Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, from Isaiah 5.20. And I think that we are getting to the stage here in America where they're beginning not just to discriminate against Christians, they're beginning to persecute Christians who still call evil, evil. And to your third point about the importance of Christians rising up and the fear and concern about secularists and their control of the universities, I was just today interviewed on a podcast at Trinity University by phone through a Zoom call where they were analyzing what happened 25 years ago when I fought against the funding of $70,000 of San Antonio City taxpayer money going to fund the Mm -hmm. Esperanza Peace and Justice Mm -hmm. Center, Mm -hmm. which was a leftist homosexual art-type group, and I didn't think that was a wise use of taxpayer money to advocate for the homosexual worldview through the arts. They were subsequently defunded after a three-week battle. Hundreds of listeners of my show came down there, spoke at city council, called the city, called the mayor. 
They voted almost unanimously to defund them. Sadly, a left-wing judge overturned it, not only gave them the $70,000 they initially had requested from the city, but also their attorney's fees. In the questions, and I just recorded this interview with them, a podcast just minutes before you called me to tape these shows, there were about 11 students in the class in majoring in communications and learning how to do podcasts. But I think they were very intrigued by my biblical perspective. And I cited the decline of the Western civilization. And one young lady said, what do you mean? How has it declined? (laughs) Some of these notions are so foreign to them because of the secular university where they are. And yet they're at Trinity University. That's supposed to represent and remind them of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is how far we've fallen that they don't even recognize where we are today. Well, let's just wrap this up by saying, friends, don't retreat. Don't retreat. Don't retreat. Be bold. Be full of faith. Take advantage of the opportunity. Be engaged in discipleship. Now, our Christian discipleship curriculum has reached some 6,000 families so far, and we, we think this is a great tool to invest in the next generation. Over 18 years, we'd like to see at least 30,000 families using this curriculum. And uh, would you pray that our outreach would at least extend to 30,000 families over the next, say, five years or so? That's only about 1% of the American evangelical families who homeschool their kids at this point. So we would just love to see something of an impact of a Christian worldview approach to discipling the next generation. Now, this discipleship approach that we've taken is pretty new to our world, takes a while for the market to receive it, but we're now seeing an exciting penetration of our vision into the market, bringing a distinctively Christian worldview to literature, political science, economics, history, math, science. Our strategy is not to impact the nation by one book one evangelistic crusade, one political election. What we're wanting to do is impact the nations by families discipling their children over the next 18 years. That will have an impact over many generations. So that's our goal. And I'm reading a little bit from our fundraising letter for the 2022 holiday season. So friends, we just encourage you to support us. And uh, we are looking to get this out to homeschool conferences all across America over the next several years. So if you would like to see an impact on this nation, on the hearts of children, and uh, impacting generations, just simply support our organization by going to our website and checking out our curriculum, encouraging others to use it, and we always encourage you to provide us with donations as well as the Lord leads. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. This is Kevin Swanson and Anna Nanis inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.